Happy Love Day. You know, often days uh, when we start the podcast, I have to quickly remind myself what day of, of the month it is. I have to go take a peek over there. But not today. Not today. February 14th. Love Day. Love making day. Love spending day. I heard a statistic this morning. Uh, not about how much love making happens on this day, but something about babies born, like whatever, 40 weeks after this. $26 billion spent on and around today. $26 billion. Chocolates, flowers, shenanigans, all, all manner of nonsense uh, spent on uh, on this. I only bring it up to say when we talk about spending, we talk about how much money things cost. We you know say like they're going to spend $12 billion on bridges. Yeah, and $7 billion on potato chips and uh, you know, $26 billion on chocolates, flowers, and and happy happy love day. But happy love day to, to all of us. Did you gentlemen uh, deliver uh, any uh, any uh, love greeting? Well, the day is young, so I've got mm-hmm. a full mm-hmm. working day before this. Katie gets home to acquire some I've things. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to Trader Joe's, uh, and they have a great little supply over there. Yeah. Five dollars. Good morning, everybody. Happy Happy Valentine's Day to you. And uh, hey, are you, you say uh, with an M? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm the father of an eight-year-old, and uh, uh-huh. uh, and that means two things. One is having to endure the word Valentine's, and uh-huh. uh, and two, giving Valentine's to kids at school. Every now, single kid in your kid's class. Yeah. Yes. Now, Whimsy really wanted to give uh, ring pops, ring pop Valentine's to. Yeah. Uh, the 24 other students in her class. And so um, we went by the, uh, the uh, neighborhood market, and, which is a, a Walmart-branded grocery store. And um, it's basically just the grocery section of Walmart. It's really kind of awesome. Uh, so we go into the neighborhood market, and we're picking up some things. And, uh, hey, there's uh, boxes of Ring Pop Valentines uh, ready to go, perfect, excellent. Wow. Guess how many are in the box? 22. 22. <laughs> 22. You got to buy two of those giant boxes. I had to buy two boxes. I now have like eight. 20? We don't do math well around here, but that one no, we can nail. She, um, she dropped one in the cat bowl and uh, the cat's water bowl and, uh, and ate another one. Uh so I had to buy. So we've, I've got like eighteen ring pops downstairs. Um, so well, if there are not pictures not. of you with ring pops on all fingers holding them up <laughs> in Instagram yeah. photos, you are so, missing a huge opportunity. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good idea. Um, so then the other thing that happens with uh, with Valentine's Day and El- Valentine's Day in elementary school is that as the kids bring their valentines to school, uh, they need a box to you know, bring them home in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course. Whimsy decided that she wanted her box to be decorated as many of the kids do. Mm -hmm. And she wanted her box to be a taco cat. (laughs) And Hmm. let me tell you, and I'll, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook or or even Twitter, I'll put it up there on Twitter too. Uh, I will, I will post the picture of, Whimsy's Taco Cat Valentine's box. 
uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Made by her and her mother, and and I might even include her like drawing <laughs> the designs mother. for Taco Cat. It's really <laughs> impressive. So that's really like, I mean, we're at the age where that's the fun stuff that's happening around Valentine's Day here in our house. Vanessa and I are going to go out for lunch later, and that's about it. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Hey, uh, you know, a little little gem inside of there, there was this big project for Whimsy to create a taco cat box that, as we heard, her and her mother did. And then you're going to post a picture of it on uh, Instagram. That is a well-played Valentine's Day, my friend. Well done. <laughs> the picture I'm going to post has already been posted by her mother. So Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Somehow you avoided that because you said, hey, I had to go and endure... Uh, the purchase of two boxes of ring pops, right? That was the divide and conquer. My How about you, Dan? Nine year old, you yeah, get? my nine-year-old mm-hmm. picked out the, uh, I forget what you even call it. It's like a stick that's made of sugar. Fun that dip. You, fun oh. dip, yeah. You dip into the powdered sugar. So it's just like pure cocaine for children. Quality. That is a quality yeah. candy right there. <laughs> but then we so had they, exactly the right number for class. And uh, one of my other sons huh. ate one. No. <laughs> no. We had to go back to the store to get a whole nother batch. To <laughs> so we've got well, extra well, fun dip. Well, let me tell you why, why I personally uh, approve of this, this uh, draconian requirement of teachers that every kid gets one. Take yourself back to the early 1970s in a little elementary school called Meadowbrook Elementary School in, oh, no. in a sleepy little town <laughs> called Golden childhood Valley. trauma. Oh, I can't wait for this story. Before they told children uh, that you got to bring a Valentine for everyone, we had Valentine's little bags that would hang on the wall, have yep. everyone's names on it, and the kids would make Valentine's and put them in there, and then you know you'd gather them up over the course of the day. Getting the tissues in out. In the day, you'd go home. So uh, I went and grabbed my Valentine's Day bag. There was one Valentine in it from the teacher. And that's it. And that's it. Oh, bless your little heart. Not a Valentine. That's rough. Not a one. Now, You clearly, though, were not the only kid that that happened to. Hence the rule change. Like this is just devastating for the morale of our students. We got to stop this. When the you know when the wave of shame and grief overwhelms you, you can only see yourself in those moments. I have no idea if anyone else didn't get any Valentine's. <laughs> wow. Uh, but but I'll say back then it wasn't. You didn't bring treats, and I'm actually surprised in this in this day and age that you guys can bring sugary store bought treats for Valentine's Day. That just I don't know. That surprises me. Back then, though, they were just like hand-drawn little cards, you yes. know, and maybe maybe those sweet tarts with the words on them, but it was uh, very minimal. What do we minimal. call those sweet? What, what are those the, things called? The are they not sweet tarts? tarts? I don't, I'm not the, sure. The little baby they're... ones, you know, that say uh, yeah. hugs or be I mine. miss you or yeah. be mine or... Yeah. Uh, hey, Dan, check your, uh, check your text. This and maybe you could throw up a picture uh, of Taco Cat check. on the... Uh, this this. Was, you know, right. <laughs> Taco oh. Cat. Hey, uh, you've been hearing you, from Rob Ryersky. There you uh, go. Look at that's that. That's actually incredible. That's next level. What? <laughs> Lord. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it is a Tuesday. It's a taco school? Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. 
Is that a taco made out of a cat? I think eating cat. I get it. People do it, Rob, but I just think it's inappropriate. I don't think you should have cat meat in your yeah. in your in your. It tacos. was funny. Whimsy said at one point, "Mom, are we going to put legs on Taco Cat?" And and Vanessa said, "No." Nah. <laughs> cat will be just fine that is like. just incredible a paper mache cat head uh very cool um well uh, happy valentine's day to you jim in the in the chat hey rob is outside of fayetteville arkansas the home of walmart which is why the local shop is walmart and uh dan is in uh, is in michigan i'm in minneapolis so happy greetings to all of you and all the places we'll talk about lots of lots of things happening some uh just in the last week in the world of politics that that influence us We'll take this opportunity to remind you that Vote Common Good, we have a love and politics pledge that we ask for uh, voters to take, that they're going to be committed to uh, living their way of love, even in the voting booth and the people that they choose to elect. So if that's interesting to you, head over to votecommongood.com and look at the love and politics pledge. On no other day is it you know, as uh, on point as our uh, February 14th love day. Uh, also, Big Flower Day. So, anyone owning flower shops, uh, clearly not listening to this. But if you know someone who owns a flower shop, today's a tough day for them. I mean, you sure it's maybe the day when they break even uh, for their business, but it's a real, it's a whole, whole, whole lot of work. All right. So, uh, hey, let's 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 talk back uh, a week or so. There was the State of the Union, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we haven't talked on this podcast since then, uh, on yeah. this topic at least. Yeah. Boy, it was a it was a raucous deal. Um, you know, we all went into it a week ago saying like, okay, State of the Unions are only so much. You know, I had a little dream of what I thought it was going to be that, you know, the president would say like, hey, there's more things than politics and government. Rob, you were worried that it was going to be too uh, boring. Uh, we all made a bet on how long it was going to be. Dan, I think you may have nailed it almost to the minute. I, I, I didn't so. do the exact number, but it was incredible. I think 87 minutes or something. No, I had 87 minutes. 72, 72 minutes. Just uh, just about nailed it. But it turned out to be, I thought, a great State of the Union speech. Um, I, I haven't been a big fan of turning this thing into you know the English parliament, but when the Republicans decided to get all... all you know, South Florida about it, you know, like we're at the, uh, at the beach bar yelling and screaming and taunting. Uh, I thought, uh, I thought old, uh, president Biden really handled that really, really took care of business. Like, uh, he seems to be someone who for his personality and age, uh, will take a, a, a time to, to banter and to spar verbally with, uh, with people that he, um, you know, may have some disagreements with. Yeah, he, uh, well, number one, he's not intimidated by anybody. Um, you know, he's he has been around the block, he's seen it all, and he just has this, you know, he, he just, he, he gives off this vibe of like, yeah, <laughs> like, you don't, you don't scare me, right. you know, and, and that's really powerful. Um, whether he is, you know, sharp and, and witty or, you know, quick-witted, whatever it might be. Uh, whatever he lacks in that, he makes up for in just pure moxie. And, uh, yeah. and, and, I, and I like that. Um, you know, I think, I don't know. I, the Republicans were just, I mean, downright embarrassing 
And, and part of me wanted to feel bad for Kevin McCarthy sitting behind Joe Biden, but I just couldn't help myself from, you know, having a little uh, schadenfreude, you know, about his predicament as he uh, as he sat up there trying to shush his members, you know, <laughs> felt like, you know, I, I've been, I don't know, if you have the experience of being a pastor's kid, um, you, you maybe experienced in part what was happening there. I've, I've had the experience of sitting in church and, uh, and, you know, messing around and getting a look from my dad sitting on the, uh, sitting on the stage, uh, sitting, you know, behind the pulpit and, uh, because he could see me messing around, screwing around, and getting that look of like, "Oh, I better, I better shape up," or even worse, was uh, getting the look down the pew from my mom. Um, <laughs> you knew then that you were in big trouble. You know, and watching Kevin McCarthy trying to give that look. We in our family we call it the Pauline look, named after my grandmother. Uh, trying to give the Pauline look to his his members to. Tell them, like, just knock it off. Like, just stop. Stop now. We'll talk about this later. And and they just ignored him. And over and over and over yeah. again, he tries to shush them, and they just keep right on. And if he wasn't such a, I don't know, repulsive is maybe too strong of a word. He's just, I don't know, I, I find him, I don't I don't have the adjective yet for what I think about Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> Swarmy, I don't know what it is. But watching him squirm with embarrassment as was pleasant. his members embarrassed him and he had no control over them, glorious. Well, yeah, look, and the you know, the great that's a great picture of what was going on. The difference is these were not eight year olds sitting yes. in a church in a church meeting. These are duly elected representatives of their constituents to the federal government sitting in a joint session of Congress. The idea that somebody has to conjure up the narrative of a scolding parent or of a school marm shaking their finger at the, at the bad behavior of children is the whole thing, right? Like, go ahead, Republicans just, but there, there's a thing in the Republican party and I have a, you know, a number of friends that I'm in touch with a lot who are deeply embedded in that stuff. Um, they, they saw all of those antics as positive things, right? Yes, there's features. There's just flaws, enough people who, yeah, who see that as as super positive. So, I, I think it's it's just a real decision point. Now, what I thought was interesting is following the State of the Union. Uh, your governor there in Arkansas yeah. gave the rebuttal to it, and. Uh. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who I'm still not clear if she wanted to be governor or not, she made this comment that it's time for new leadership in the Republican Party. I don't, I don't have the quote quite right, but basically yeah, her argument was it's the difference not between conservatives and not conservatives, it's between like the crazies and the not crazies. She's yeah. putting herself in the not crazies category. Fair enough. Who doesn't? Um, but that's interesting that inside the Republican Party, it shows that this argument about we can't keep going down the road of the wackadoodles is real. It's not just yeah. podcast people like us and commentators and social uh, 
the progressives that are saying these things. It's actually true inside the party, and that I think is a really is a really interesting uh, take on yeah. all this. I like uh, this meme from the uh, State of the Union. <laughs> it's the, uh, the like the angry woman shouting at the cat, and then it's yeah. side by side with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene in her white fur coat. Like what is Wasn't that? Wasn't she even? dressing as the the Chinese balloon? Wasn't that what the people were saying she was trying to do? <laughs> she was trying to she was trying to mock him with wearing a Chinese spy balloon outfit. Is that not true? Is that not true? Was that just a joke that I missed that I miss misread? That, I, could, that could be. I, don't know. Excuse me. I, I I thought I it had white witch from Narnia energy for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know, we watched that closely. And immediately after her uh, her speech, hit send on a uh, on an email announcing uh, another little project I'm involved in called Vortex Pack uh, with uh, Dr. Chris Jones to uh, do some work here in Arkansas. So if you're interested, check out vortexpack.com. So I was watching Sarah Huckabee Sanders very closely and and cared deeply about what she had to say. Th- there's a couple of things. One of the the phrases that I've noticed. Sarah Huckabee Sanders used it. Chris Sununu, who's going to announce that he's running for president, used it. Nikki Haley, who we'll talk about in a little bit, who announced that she's running for president, used it. It's the phrase generational change. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be, I think, as much as the the crazy versus normal, um, you know, dichotomy, I think there's a, a crop of Republican leaders who are looking at two things. One, they're looking at Joe Biden and saying, okay, we have the opportunity to exploit something here with a, a, you know, Mm -hmm. um, youth and vitality uh, image versus, you know, kind of old and doddering Grandpa Joe. And at the same time, that argument works not just against Joe Biden, it also works against Donald Trump. For Uh, sure. And so, you know, I think that that phrase is going to be key throughout this uh, throughout this next election. The fact that I've seen it in multiple places now makes me think that there's a concerted effort. There's a there's a yeah a real intentional branding of this. And I think that the other thing it indicates to me is. Um, I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not running to be vice president for Donald Trump. I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is running to be vice president for Ron DeSantis. Mm. And um, I think that she is, you know, giving herself the opportunity to, um, you know, bring the MAGA crowd over to, uh, to Ron DeSantis, which, you know, shouldn't be terribly difficult, you know, regardless about the former guy, you know, True thing out pictures of Ron DeSantis partying with uh, with uh, teenage girls when he was a uh, a high school teacher. Besides, you know all that. Uh, so I, beyond that, the content of Sarah Huckabee's speech was terrifying and yeah. pr- predictable. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, right in 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 the complete just I, when she said. You know, we didn't ask for a culture war. They brought the culture war to us. I mean, it was just like yeah. just 
so infuriatingly dishonest. Could not stomach it. Yes, it was really, really really well. Well, all all the best to you. Look, the Republicans are getting themselves together. I think you're exactly right on this that they can they can bank shot both at Trump and at Biden with the generational thing. It's a big deal. Uh, It it conjures up. Uh, the 1992 presidential campaign, mm-hmm. even back to 1990, 1991, with uh, you know Clinton and Gore coming in as young, generational, don't stop thinking about tomorrow, Fleetwood Mac listening yep. people back when that was young and, and hipful, and uh, you know the older uh, incumbent president, all of that. That's powerful for the United States of America because elections are always about the future. They're not about the past. They're not even about the present. So it's a real thing. And, uh, you know, we will, we will have plenty of time to talk about if uh, Joe Biden is going to announce his candidacy for the presidency of the United States or if he will say, I will not seek and I will not accept uh, your nomination for president. But we can talk a little bit about Nikki Haley. She's running. Now Now we're starting to get a little list. Look, Nikki Haley said, if Donald Trump runs, I won't run. And now she's running. So that's great news, right? Uh, I feel like, you know, I wanted to start a website back in 2018 when we were, before, just before we started Vote Common Good, called Everybody Runs that wanted everyone in the United States to register to run for president the, with the idea being any one of us would be better than Donald Trump, right? <laughs> Literally elect anyone. You know, it's all of us versus him. I kind of feel that way for any legitimate Republican at this point and any of them. I, I get the arguments. I hear them all the time. I think Ron DeSantis is more dangerous. I think, you know, so-and-so is more dangerous than Donald Trump because at least he's competent. No. Donald Trump, in my view, is still a singularly dangerous character on the public scene, dangerous for the United States as a person. Now, I'm not being I'm not being personal about him. I'm saying him as the candidate, the way he will be, because it's the way he is today and the way he was, it's clear how he's going to be. Uniquely problematic. And ideally, you know, to beat him in a, a general election where, again, 70 or 80 million people can say no feels really great good enough, but it also would be wonderful if he was rejected in his own hometown um, yeah. and uh, if the Republicans said no to him in this next election. Uh, but again, I think he will be uh, uh, charged with a crime that will involve him negotiating a plea deal that will say that he won't ever seek public office again and that's, it's not going to be an issue. I think that's, I think that's still, I'm, I'm still holding out to, the, still holding <laughs> out to that, that, little, that little theory which feels like it's drifting away. All right. Drifting away like a... Things flying in the sky. I was going to say drifting away like a spy balloon. Yeah. (laughs) Nikki Haley is really in a tough position. Um, She is an ideal candidate for a Republican Party of the past, Um, a pre-Donald Trump Republican Party. She is an ideal candidate. Uh, Governor, former governor of, of South Carolina former United Nations ambassador. I mean, a woman of color. Just, this is, like, she is an ideal candidate. She is well-spoken. She is poised. But she is really in a difficult, she has put herself in a difficult spot because she has tried to, she's tried to be a a both-and kind of person when it comes to Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And she has, um, she has been on his team as a part of his administration and she has tried to criticize him and 
none of it seems authentic. It always feels like she is either compromising in some way or mm-hmm. overcompensating with the bluster. Like, you know, her, you know, her, her quote that came out today about, you know, she, she wear, yeah, here it is uh, from a presidential video or launch video. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. That's a really clever line. But it also points out the fact that, like, what about Donald Trump? <laughs> the bully in chief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you didn't kick back when you were a part of his administration. And every time you've tried, it's been, I don't know, while you got one foot up in the air trying to get him with the heel, like your other foot in the heels has been a little bit wobbly. And like this, is, this thing isn't landing hard. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I just, I think that Nikki Haley. She's one of these like could have been like should have been, um, sure. You know, in in an ideal world, somebody else wins the Republican nomination in in twenty sixteen, and Nikki Haley is the vice president. You know, like that's what should have happened, not this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I so mm-hmm. I don't know. She she does not. She she's not the MAGA alternative to Trump that Ron DeSantis is. She's not the never Trump alternative that some Republicans are looking for. Yes, she's this wishy washy thing in the middle. And you know, like Jesus said, you know, you you spit the lukewarm water out of your mouth. Yeah, and look, I mean, her comment about you know it hurts worse when you kick with heels. Maybe I don't I don't know, but but. You know, as a real leader, what what about the sensible flats? Wouldn't don't they just make a lot more sense just to wear a good pair of stable, solid shoes with all the work you have to do? You know, they, they look they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of struggles on the Republican Party side. So do Democrats, right? The majority of Americans and the majority of people in both parties don't want Donald Trump to run for president, and they don't want Joe Biden to run for reelection. That's a difficult spot, right? And uh, uh, I don't think that's going to stop Joe Biden from announcing his candidacy. And I think that feels after the state of the union, uh, more settled than ever that that's, that's what we're, that's what we're facing. And I'm guessing he's not going to shake up, you know, his campaign by not having Kamala Harris. So I don't think there's going to be any, any changes on that front. It's just going to be a, you know, can, can we get a refill, you know, when you're at the table and you you (laughs) cast for another basket of chips. So you're just, just going to do the same thing again. So of course the Republicans and uh, the the cultural commentators are all over Biden and they really want to be on him about these, um, these crafts that are flying in the air. I'm trying to describe the things that are flying in the air that are being shot down by the military and not say a word that would cause YouTube again, to think that we're spreading conspiracy theories. So (laughs) there are, there are vehicles flying in the air and the government is saying, we're not sure where they're from, but now they're comfortable shooting them down um, because apparently shooting down something the size of a car is not going to hurt anyone. We're shooting down something the size of a bus would clearly have landed on scores of people all across the, the, the country. But they're comfortable shooting those things down over Alaska and over the Antarctic and, and all the rest of it. it and it's going to keep happening. And Lake Huron, yeah, sure. Not right too over. far from Dan. <laughs> Couldn't there be people in boats out there? Yeah, I mean, who, who knows? Uh, I heard, I heard a commentator, uh, a news, a news person, not a commentator, having to talk about this and saying, you know, when they shot down the UFOs in this in the sky, and then the 
the host of the radio show said to the reporter, how, how do you like reporting that? He goes, oh, I love it so much that I get to say these things. You know, I get to talk <laughs> about the government not wanting to tell us what the unidentified flying objects are that they've shot down out of the sky. Like it is for a lot of people, the fulfillment of what they're like, I'm telling you, these things have been up there a long time. We've all been seeing them. We've been reporting them. The, you know, but remember a year ago or two years ago or something when the military started releasing the reports yeah. of the number of pilots and like who said videos they had... of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, right down the middle of, you know, the word that we can't say on this podcast because YouTube will, you know, treat us badly. Um, but these, these kinds of uh, theories that people tell of things that I think are, uh, are you know, causing uh, a lot of people a great level of excitement. But for some reason, the Biden administration is choosing not to talk about these things, which is stirring up its own speculation and its own worry. And I think that's really curious why the administration is not taking the lead and, and comfortable making it seem as if they're secretive or non-responsive about any of this stuff, whether it was the, the spy balloon or these other drones that are being... Uh, being taken on. And, I've heard and it's that, clearly a talking point in conservative circles. Yeah, I've heard that criticism that Biden isn't talking about it. or whatever, But I also saw a press conference from the White House press secretary talking about it. So at what level of talk would be sufficient for, for people? Well, that's the critique, right? When you have your press secretary talk about it and you don't, People are like, that's noticeable. Or they send out John Kirby to talk about it. You know, the, the, the Pentagon-related spokesperson. That That's what they're getting at. They're like, no, they're talking about it, but every time Biden is with the press, he won't answer the question, kind of dot, like he's not making a presidential address. Maybe it doesn't rise to the level and they should just say that. Like, look, the president has a lot of things. We've got this under control. We don't. But there's a way this is being messaged that is not, like it didn't come up in the State of the Union I literally heard more about buying hearing aids at pharmacies than we heard about this or what we're going to do about uh, changing our immigration policy. So sometimes presidents are extremely articulate about certain things mm -hmm. and then not about others. And it's that contrast that's quite noticeable. So for some reason, they don't want Biden on video uh, talking about these things. I think that's sort of interesting. I don't know why. I know that I've, uh, if you go deep into the, like the longer analysis of this, there's real arguments in the government, in the U S government between the Pentagon and the CIA, because the intelligence agencies have known about the, the spy balloons and they knew about these flying crafts, but they didn't tell, uh, the, the, uh, Department of Defense, and the Department of Defense is now trying to figure out how did one of our agencies know about it and we didn't. That's its own internal battle that Congress is now looking mm -hmm. into and the Department of Defense is trying to figure out. So there's things going on in all of this about what parts of the government know about these things and when the intelligence agencies are the ones that are like, yeah, we can tell you about the balloons that were flying over the U.S. in 2018 and in 2020 and 2023, they know about them. That tells you that all of this stuff is in another part of the government that uh, is about you know countries looking in on each other and spying on each other, and so it's in a different it's in a different space. And I wonder if that's why I think Republicans might know that, so they're poking at Biden on like they 
because the press secretary might not know what Biden knows, right? So he doesn't want to be talking about things he knows about and not talking about them. That's different than someone who's like, literally, I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. any of that stuff. So this, this could all be what's, what's, what's happening here. And I think more, most interestingly about all this, these, you know, crafts flying in the sky, it's a little window into what goes on in the intelligence agencies uh, of not only the United States, but other countries. There is so, so very much that's happening. Um, I, I don't know if you know who John Kirby is, but John Kirby is the spokesman for the Department of Defense and the special envoy communications person. So anyway, he kind of talks about this stuff. And he said, look, we, we have extreme capabilities to know what's going on in other countries. Like, we know why they've put these, these things up. <laughs> We're not, we are not unaware of, of right. these things. Uh, it was just uh, interesting as a as a subplot to the whole to the whole. Well, and we're probably floating our own little crafts over every other country. Like that's yeah. what's sort of funny. Like, how dare they float yes. a balloon over us? Like, really? We're not. Totally. Like, this is just part of the game. Of yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But what what are these things? <laughs> what are what is this? car-sized cylinder cylinder over Alaska. What is this octagonal thing that has no propulsion, observable propulsion that, that, you know, jet fighters, jet fighter pilots are saying that, you know, their navigation equipment was messed with as they got close to it. Like, what are these, like, what is this stuff? What is it? What's your best theory on what it is, Doug? Well, I think it's sophisticated military equipment that that of which the makeup is kept secret. This is super secret stuff. Look, and this is why they're not just shooting these things down over land. I know they're saying we didn't want it to fall on someone. They want to put it in a safe spot where ain't no one going to get their hands on this stuff. This is really important intelligence that they're trying to track and to watch and, and keep an eye on and only going to take, only going to try to secure it in certain places. And this you know, story that we have up is they found a significant amount of debris from the one that's out in the, in, in the ocean off of North Carolina. I think what all of this is, is the kind, and I'm not saying it's, it's not anything, it's, it's secrets that are supposed to be secrets, right? Like there's things that the Chinese government does they don't want to tell people about. There's things that the U.S. government does that we don't want people to know about. It's meant to stay away from public view. Uh, that's, that's what I think. And I think there's a lot of capabilities of flying things and a lot of ways of flying things that they never talk about. You know, these stealth kinds of, of, of vehicles that, that are up in the sky, especially, you know, ver- they're all versions of drones of some variety, right? But these kinds of drones that we don't know anything about in the, in the, in the, popular, in the popular culture. What do you think? That's what I think it is. Oh, I don't know. I, and I don't really, like, it's sort of interesting, but I don't, oh. really just don't care that much. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. Well, not, not, Rob, you have a very leading question. What do you think it is? You think it's no, uh, I, I extraterrestrial? I have no idea. I have no idea. I am, I am totally intrigued by the people that are, you know, absolutely in on the the alien narrative here. 
Um, I, yeah, I don't think it's that. Yeah, I. you would have that sense that if there was some civilization somewhere out in the uh, in the universe that was able to create a craft that could travel into our planet's atmosphere, it feels like that wouldn't be something that would be easy to shoot down. Yeah, you right? think... <laughs> You know, I don't know, the, but maybe they're peaceful and they don't think about those things. I don't know. And if and if you figure that NORAD, the, right, the Northern Command, you know, joint project between Canada and the U.S. is going to shoot a couple of those down, they're not going to tell us if those if they're pretty sure those things are from yeah. you know civilizations All, off of the, this sphere. Yes, it, the only just, time I on. ever want to hear about NORAD is when they're tracking Santa Claus. Now, I really like what what <laughs> I Jim didn't just even posted. Know they were real. Yep. What Jim just posted in the uh, in the comments that these uh, these things are from the future. Yeah, we're just in a time warp. That's all it is. Yeah, <laughs> we're Look, it's, living it's in the future, and none of this has happened yet. Wow, yeah, it's a it. Bruce Springsteen line. Are you you yeah, quote Bruce is. Springsteen line. That's a good line. I am. Uh, it's I am. a deep. That's a deep cut right there. Appreciate uh, it's that. A deep cut. <clears throat> hey, I did get a, a little meme from uh, one of my uh, super conservative friends. And remember that Trump balloon that they flew uh, yes. with Trump's big blown up body? This yep. this little meme was, if I were Trump, I'd be flying this thing over Beijing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually hilarious, right? Yeah. <laughs> you were to fly a Trump balloon. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was quite quite clever. But look, on a, on a more sad note, uh, a number of things have have, yeah. have befelled our planet. A major earthquake in Turkey, in Syria. I don't know what, what the numbers are now. It just it's, it's thirty five thousand people, which just sounds uh, unbelievable. Just heart stopping. Um, killed yeah. in a moment. You know, just uh, the devastation of that, and and you know th these buildings were not supposed to collapse, and so just all the pain, all the heartache, all the all the the tragedy. I also heard that in the in the Ukraine war that. You know the un the unfair uh, assault of of Russia on Ukraine. The Ukrainians don't like people call it the Ukraine war. They're like it's not our war. They're attacking us. It's a you you know Ukrainian defense. That the statistics are more than a thousand Russian soldiers are dying per day per day. Apparently, mm -hmm. in one week, more Russian soldiers will die than died than U.S. soldiers died in Iraq and Afghanistan. Total. Wow. Jeez. In one week, it, the numbers are through the roof and just unbelievably devastating. Like that war that's been going on for more than a year is just so so horrible. Yeah, yeah. And then and that then, gets layered into the shoot the shootings in the United States, which we want to spend some time with, which is the yeah. yeah I mean, State even before, shooting this time. Yeah, even before we talk about Michigan State, let's let's not forget what's happening in Ohio. And the train der derailment um, that uh, that happened in Ohio that you know has been described as like a, I mean the equivalent of like a nuclear bomb going off, and right. you know re reports of dead animals, dead pets, you know, and and you know because of the chemicals that have uh, that have that have have escaped into the atmosphere, the devastation that. You know, I, I've I've seen the word Chernobyl thrown around many times um, in describing this uh, of what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio. But 
that won't stay there because you know as it as these chemicals head up into the atmosphere and uh and then get delivered other places through you know falling yep. rain it is uh wow and there's a yes. lot of there's a lot of political stuff that goes along with this there was a a reporter trying to ask questions of the Ohio governor Mike DeWine who was arrested arrested and the vi- yeah arrested and the video like the video that shows him being arrested it's just like why in the world is he being arrested like it they, like there was no provocation at all yeah. and uh, and so you're that, saying the person like, asking the questions of the governor about this was then arrested arrested yeah. like arrested. thrown on the ground handcuffed behind the back arrested really? and carried off a yeah, reporter really <laughs> Yeah, really troubling things. You couple that then with the, you know, the 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 railway union and the yeah. their threats to to strike and how the Biden administration dealt with that and then you get this sense of like, well, wait a minute, like what is that tied in with this where they, you know, some mm-hmm. people have said that they were, you know, this is what the unions were trying to warn us about. Uh, you know, it's just it's just really really troubling. The environmental and uh, and, mm-hmm. and and you know threats to life that are coming about as a result of this, and you know you just layer on these things, and then you know I was laying in bed last night, you know, with Vanessa watching some TV and checked my phone for a minute and uh, said, "Oh, there's an active shooter in in Lansing at Michigan State," yeah. and just heart wrenching. News to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And some of these guys saw some reports, some of the college age students at Michigan State University were in high schools where there were also shootings and killings. So now you have some of these same kids who have not only had to learn active shooter response in high school, now in college. And maybe you saw the news coverage that there was a message sent out, you know, to the students and faculty on the campus that said run hide or fight yeah. that they have this this what three the? three word phrase that they the, the the kind of trauma that we now just accept as well that's what you have to do because you know people are going to do these things what else can we do you, yeah like the most base level of all this and look there's a lot of arguments we can all make about how are you going to solve this? A uh, lot of legislation that should be passed, 70%, 80%, 90% support for background checks. I think those all those things should happen. My own opinion is those are not going to solve these problems. Most of the shooters could have gotten guns. The problem, and mental health isn't, in my view, the problem is there's too many lethal weapons available to too many people. And you're just... The reason, the thing that makes the United States different than all the other industrialized world is the amount of guns that are available and the access to the most deadly weapons. That's the thing that's different. Not mental health issues. They don't seem to be on a different scale other than the number of mass shootings that are happening might indicate that there's more mental illness in the United States and other places. So someone could make that argument. But the thing that seems like you could respond to it is we should do something about this, but there's no appetite even in the democratic party to push really hard to reduce the lethality, uh, the 
access to lethal weapons, especially what are often referred to, you know, as these military style weapons that can just, can just fire so quickly. I don't know in, in Michigan State if they've said yet what kind of weapon was used. Um, for some people, that doesn't matter. For other people, it really matters. I'm in the category of it really matters. Like, I think that that's, uh, that's a part of the entire shooter culture. Once you do some work on who these people are and how does somebody end up being a shooter, there's a kind of narrative that's formed. Yes. That's, Centered around the weapons, some of you might know that I, you know, I went into the NRA building um, in in uh, in May at their big convention and walked on the floor um, and the demonstration floor and saw all of the stuff and all of the guns and talked to people and it were all over. In order to do that, I had to pay a fee to get in. That fee then meant that I'm on the mailing list for the National Rifle Association. So for the last six months, I've been receiving the National Rifle Association magazine, which concerns me a little bit about what my postal carrier might think about me, but I'm trying to, you know, leave that aside. Flipping through that magazine, the thing, the color, you know, multi-page magazine that comes out once a month from the NRA, if you're unfamiliar with that document, it will tell you a lot about the culture way of thinking that goes on with these um, in this in this subset of of people that are big into guns and photos with guns and rifles and stock all of it there's just an entire other world there yeah. and you know what it's not I'll tell you I don't get this magazine either but I flip through it sometimes when I'm at airports just to you know broaden my perspective it's not field and stream it's not hunter's guide to a great fall outing. These are, I'm not, I'm not a hunter. I'm not big in hunting, but these are not hunting magazines, the NRA magazine. It is about personal defense and guns that are designed for an individual to use to shoot another individual. That's what it is. And I don't think there's any way to break that cultural grip. Yeah. And it may not have stopped every one of these, but it's got to stop the fact that we have a mass shooting, meaning a shooting where injured or killed more than four people in a single incident. That's the, that's the, when you see big numbers of mass shootings, like 67 in 2023 already, that, that's what they're referring to. Four or more people injured or killed. You got to believe it can stop some of that, um, if, if not all of it. And just this prevalent argument that, well, we need more good guys with guns, that never, like, the, that's so rare that there happens to be a good guy with a gun that actually, stops an active shooting like yes a couple weeks ago it was a young guy with his bare hands that stopped an active shooter and in this case it seemed like for hours this guy was just allowed to run around and shoot people yeah where were the yep. good guys with guns yeah yeah and i you know i i think about um you know this happened in lansing michigan which is the capital of michigan and i I used to live 45 minutes north of there and would, you know, shop in Lansing quite a bit. And I think about Governor Whitmer and, you know, as we think about kind of the trauma, I mean, this is a state that has endured some of the most ugly backlashes against um, mask wearing and, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and the pandemic, um, and the, the quarantining um, associated with the pandemic. This is one of those areas that, you know, had 
the uh, the plot to yeah. kidnap the and kill the the governor of yep. of Michigan, and now this it's just uh, it, it just I feel for the people of this area. It's um you know mm-hmm. Lansing has been as a city has been a uh, a real flashpoint in in a number of the the things that that have happened over the last couple of years, and to to have this layered on top of that is really mm-hmm. it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and the sad thing is it's we just know that it's an incident in a line of incidents that have already taken place. Yeah. And yeah. any reasonable person should be pretty certain it's not the end of the line. There will be another action that will look strangely similar and predictable enough that it seems like we could and should be doing more about it but it's it is it has been it has been woven now into the fabric you know like automobile deaths to be just grim about the whole thing right we have decided as a society cars are about as safe as we're willing to make them people are going to die in automobile accidents the number is really high per car minute on the road it's not so high but there's just a number we've decided like okay that's that's about right. We're not going to do other things to make cars, you know, to make highways more safe. You could do a lot of things to make highways more safe, right? You could put speed limits down to 25 miles an hour. There's a whole set of things. You can make widen lanes, widen lane space between cars. There's a whole bunch of things. We're not doing any of those things because we've decided that we can tolerate a certain, yeah, a certain amount. That's where we are on guns. Basically, we've decided there is no group that's not going to be targeted by gun violence. We're now, it's clear we're through through all of it, from politicians to children. To churches, to movie theaters, yeah. And we've decided as a society, tolerable, tolerable level, level. And part of it being tolerable is we have a grief narrative that we go through. Yeah. And different people grieve it differently, and we have a whole thing, and we have a public response to these to these events, and people are now learning how. But it's like, hey, this is this is just what's going to happen. And I just want to ask the, the the fundamental question. I think we should ask it of gun owners and of non non gun supporters all. Are we happy saying this is the acceptable amount of carnage from this and death? And the answer for a lot of people is yes. So then we have to say that and just uh, just uh, have yeah. the argument with that as the given, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I find it not to be an acceptable amount, so I want to shake my fist fist at it. And I think we could all be, you know, the sort of Ralph Nader's of the 1970s saying the number of people dying in cars doesn't have to be as high. Let's do seatbelts or then later with the airbags, <laughs> let's do airbags, you know, and maybe somewhere that number is going to come is going to come down. Um but the 67 mass shootings where four or more people are killed or injured in a single incident, just in the 45 days that we've had since the, this, they've been doing count of 2023, yeah. is a lot. And look, some of that's just shootings on streets, you know, with handguns and other things. There's a number of those. We had, some, we had one of those in, here in Minneapolis. A couple of people shot and killed and high school kids shooting and killing uh, one killed and three injured. And it, comes, it gets listed as that mass shooting. And it was connected to a lot of, you know, other kinds of violence. So there's, yes, it's not all AR-15 style combat, you know, design lookalike weapons and all this. But that sure seems like a place you could you could make a, a big a big advancement. But we've yeah, we've baked it right. in, and it's just heartbreaking. And the 
you know, the immediate, those killed and wounded and those loved ones of those victims, those are the immediate uh, impact, the immediate trauma. But the lasting trauma is societal. It's like our kids having to do these lockdown drills. And then we've had this thing in our school district where students are swatting the schools, quote unquote swatting. So they'll call Mm -hmm. in a threat and then police show up. They have to lock down the school. It is viewed as an active threat. It's not a training situation. Freaks everyone out, students, teachers. And then, you know, it turns out it was, you know, a false yep. alarm or an yep. intentional mm-hmm. false alarm. Yeah, a prank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have wow. this generation growing up where that is the norm, to be afraid mm-hmm. for your life in school. Yeah. And then you're trying to also worry about, you know, doing good on your math test. And yeah, and look, we just incorporate these things in. I, I think when, when, when I was a kid, war, the Vietnam War was going on. Uh, or and then was a little older, had just ended. I, I've now kind of looked back and I'm like, oh, the period of time, like from 1976 to, to 1944, so that like 32 years seemed like a really long time ago to me as a kid. But now that I'm the age that I am now, I'm like, okay, 32 years isn't isn't all that long, right? Like we can we can go back. That those traumas from even World War II and then the Korean War and then the Vietnam War were just alive and well. So what mm-hmm. did we do as kids in our swimming pool? I lived in this great apartment complex. We had a swimming pool in the middle of the parking lot. All the kids went out there, had a diving board. It was just reckless and fancy free. Well, what did we play going off the diving board? A game called kamikaze. Kamikazes where you jumped off the diving board into someone in the water, right? Like you'd land on like a like a cannonball landing on the kids. And I'm like, what games were we playing? Cannonball, kamikaze, and board games called Battleship. I took a, my little three year old grandson. Uh, we stopped and got chicken and nuggets as a real little special deal with his, you know, with his babu. Chicken and, and you know nuggets game- or chicken nuggets. Chicken and nuggets for okay. him. You know, he's oh. adorable. He's three. And you know the little game inside the Happy Meal? Freaking Battleship. Battleship. Now, I get it. It should just be innocuous. No big deal. And I'm like, honestly, let's just slide this one aside. I don't think you need to be playing games about blowing up ships. This commitment to war. This, these are the cultural things, Dan, to your point about trauma, that get built into our society and what's built into our society now? Person on person gun violence. I'm not saying it's created by first person shooter video games. I'm just saying it's all part of the cultural milieu that now is normative for these kids the way war narratives have been for the uh, for, for previous generations. But now that war has come to the streets and we just tolerate it and just move along without some cultural consideration enough, uh, enough uh, of the time to say, hey, maybe we should pause for a minute and not let kids just normalize around certain things. Let's call it war and gun violence. Let's just take those things off the cultural norming narratives. Well, that's clearly not what's up. Yeah. And these yeah. these are the larger things. That, no, there is no policy you're going to pass. I get it. Yes, no single bill passed by Congress or by House is going to solve this. But they all become little mosaic, little tiles in the larger mosaic of a different, a different way. At least on 
Jan- on February 14th, we could say, you know, yeah, love. Yeah. Love. Yeah. What's love got to do with it? a multitude of solutions. <sighs> well, I have well, no answers. But well, good I, luck uh, on getting some red roses today. Yeah. By the way, I know they're right. still tough to come by. Happy Valentine's oh, Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Try to make the world a little better while you're out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just do your part, and you know, it's, it's not too much to ask. But may we all just stop killing each other. That seems like a really great, really great thing. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.